Hello, and welcome back to Story Arcs Podcast. Today we are going to be covering X-Men God Loves, Man Kills, which is also Marvel graphic novel number five. Uh, it is written by Chris, Chris Claremont and art by Brent Anderson. And today we are also going to have something a little different. We have a special guest, and that is my sibling, Logan. Uh, they are one of one of the foremost experts on X-Men that I know uh, and have background mostly in X-Men comics. And yeah, I'll let them introduce themselves. Uh, yeah. Uh, hello, I'm Logan. Um, uh, I guess I, I stumbled into this, this uh, X-Men expertise um, mostly by accident over the past several years. Um, Getting you know a little bit into into X Men as a kid with with X Men Evolution and different video games like X Men Legends and then really starting to read comics in high school circa 2011 2010 um, and then at some point thanks somewhat to podcasts like uh, Jay and Miles explain the X Men um, got really into just kind of reading just all of it um, and so at this point I've I've read most but definitely not all. Uh, uh, X-Men comics, uh, as well as a lot of things uh, outside of that in, in the medium, uh, manga and other superhero comics, some indie stuff and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, and shout out to Jamie Miles Explain the X-Men, which uh, Logan introduced me to and then also has some somewhat of an influence on the idea behind this podcast originally. So shout out to them. And it, it, it would not be the first podcast that they, I think, directly inspired. Uh, you yeah, have a whole community uh, out there, thanks to them right now. Yeah, for, sh for sure. Um, so, yeah, uh, God Loves, Man Kills. It is pretty much one of the quintessential X-Men stories, and for a long time stood by itself, although it is now part of official canon, thanks to some minor retcons. And, yeah, the summary, essentially. Uh, so the story is... William Stryker is an evangelist, and he has a ongoing crusade against mutants. His purifiers start the issue off by murdering two mutant children in the first scene, having already murdered their parents. Then, very quickly, we get Xavier debating him on debating William Stryker on TV. But following the debate, Stryker's team secretly attacks the car with Cyclops and Storm and Xavier in it, and blows it up. Stryker captures and tortures those X-Men. Then he has a device that he plans to use to harness Xavier's telepathy to hurt mutants at his upcoming rally at Madison Square Garden. The rest of the X-Men then have to team up with Magneto to stop Stryker and rescue Xavier. Uh, worth noting also that the X-Men at this point include Wolverine... Cyclops, Storm, Colossus, Nightcrawler, Ariel, also known as Shadowcat, also known as Kitty Pride, who plays a significant role in the story. And then they also have some minor appearances in this um, from Ileana Rasputin, Colossus's sister, and Stevie Hunter, the dance instructor uh, for Kitty, and I believe Ileana at this point as well. Um, and those are all of the kind of the X-Men related characters, I think, that show up in this story. So let's go ahead and jump on into the significance and our likes and dislikes. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll take the lead here and I will say that for me one of the big things is that the tone is spot on. It is pretty consistent throughout. Emotionally weighty story and it, it really brings across what it is to be a mutant and we'll get into this a little bit more. It's, it's a, one of the best examples of the mutant metaphor, which we're going to talk a lot about. Uh, so yeah, Kevin, what was, what was something that you liked uh, from this story? Uh, for sure. And this one, uh, for me, was like some of the attention to the characters and just that we were able to focus on them more from start to finish in the story, as opposed to, you know, some we've read lately where characters are just kind of, you know, maybe thrown in there to you know fight something they come in as extra support only around for a couple scenes um you know i really like seeing that we see the heroes training you know at some point in this which i, I don't think you get to see a lot you know them trying to use their their powers the best way possible or you know oh if i was in this situation so 
just seeing seeing some of the uh finer detail on you know the character development is was one of my favorite parts yeah, and uh, i think you could tell there that uh, gavin hasn't read a ton of x-men yeah. uh yeah so logan uh what do you have for your likes and then if you want to go ahead and start start us off on dislikes as well um yeah so i think uh the art is one thing that really stands out um especially compared to the comics at the time uh there's a lot of a lot of interesting stuff going on with the with the panel layouts and the way that um, Brent Anderson kind of sets up the storytelling. Uh, the coloring is also um, not the kind of standard four color um, coloring that uh, comics had been doing up until I think about the 90s. Um, it's if not painted, then it's it's kind of hand colored in in some way or another. Um, and I think it, you know, the the pacing and the plotting is is very tight. It's very cinematic um and that kind of stands out from uh other x-men comics in particular because uh chris claremont especially uh can be very very wordy uh very uh uh spends a lot of time in thought bubbles and narration boxes kind of explaining what's going on with characters and uh, as well as over explaining some stuff you can already see in the comic um and having you know a, a, a thousand uh, subplots at once, and so this this kind of allows him to step back, um, pull back a little bit on on the wordiness, um, focus on having a tight through line start to finish, um, yeah. and then yeah, the kind of dislike I guess I kind of have is that it, it does in a in a way not stand out as um, a representative X Men story because it kind of lacks that that intricate plotting where every issue is the part of a dozen different stories all at once. Yeah, it's a uh, kind of puts Claremont in, in a box and, and contains him a bit, but it does take away, I think, kind of that serialization soap opera type feel that a lot of Claremont X-Men gets is that you, you build to things over and over and over again. And that's, I mean, that's some of my dis dislikes really too, is that, I mean... I like Claremont, but it's a lot, and with as heavy as the subject matter is, sometimes being so long-winded, like, you kind of need to take a break reading this whole thing. Um, yeah, Gavin, did you have any other uh, dislikes? Um, yeah, I guess I'll just say overall, I mean, with the story, yeah, I know it is a serious topic overall, um, and I feel like, you know, to... For the sake of advancing the story, um, some of the heroes, you know, that we have later, I'll say just even like the police officers are, you know, maybe don't give such a realistic, uh, I guess, idea to me of how how they might act, you know, in reality. I, I understand that it's, uh, you know, I think you he was the writers trying to tell a story and, you know, maybe hoping that this this would be the reality. But, you know, maybe for me, just their their depictions, um, you can tell was kind of just for the sake of the story in some in some ways that uh you know these characters needed to act this way so so that you kind of get the the good ending um so so for the, that in that way it was um a little skewed for me yeah there's there's a couple of questionable uh motivations for for actions from from the villains and from kind of side characters uh but overall i think not as many questionable motivations as, as we've seen in some of our recent weeks with some of our 90s comics that we've covered so definitely um yeah cultural significance and through our lens are generally our next next two topics i think this one is going to be really hard to kind of keep those separate uh for me you know this is what we've talked about a little bit already but this is that that perfect example of the mutant metaphor and if you're not familiar with mutant metaphor i think it would take a long time to fully explain it but the basics is essentially that mutants are often a stand-in for other marginalized groups in these stories, even at times when they don't do a great job um, actually putting those marginalized groups on panel. Uh, but this is Claremont's X-Men where we kind of start actually getting some representation from characters of different backgrounds and, and different uh, races and, and some subte subtext uh, of LGBT characters that also picks up a little bit and i think uh if you again if you listen to jay and miles i think they cover a lot of that information so if you really end up digging on the x-men after this 
to reading this, that's a good place to start uh, out to get a lot of information on on them. Um, but yeah, what, what's uh, what are some of the points that picked up for you uh, culturally and and lens wise? For sure. Um, overall, I think it was just how easily religion, yeah, was spun against the mutants overall, right? Uh, I mean, some of the uh, some of the arguments that the uh, you know Reverend William Stryker is giving are, I mean, not so far fetched and crazy and out there, right? You can see uh, kind of how religion drives him towards uh, you know his views a bit, and so I think that you know speaks a lot uh, to it. And just I mean, you have a scene where uh, you have uh, you know a black woman telling telling Kitty, you know, a minority telling uh, this Jewish young Jewish girl about how. Um, you know, you're supposed to maybe brush off some nasty things people are, you know, saying about mutants. And, you know, that really comes full circle really easily when it's like when she comes back, oh, well, what if they were saying the N-word? Would it be so easy to brush off? And I think that's just, uh, you know, really brings a reader into, uh, you know, that whole whole thing that you're saying with, with minorities overall. So, you know, I mean, there are a lot more, maybe more examples, but I think that gives a really you know, strong thing overall about the cultural significance the writer was trying to show. Yeah, I think uh, this is this is a story that we see played out in, in modern day a lot. Um, maybe not as dramatically, but the ideas of kind of the, well, you need to listen to both sides, even if one side is, is being aggressively uh, anti-whoever or, you know, is, is aggressively... Uh, murdering, you know, almost murdering people. Um, in this case, actually murdering people. I, so it's a quite a quite, yeah. It's a story that, yeah, just sticks, sticks, and it it continues to be relevant. Um, Logan, did you have anything uh, that you wanted to add a, add on there? Yeah, I mean, so I think to to briefly touch on on the idea of the mutant metaphor is. The strength is, in many ways, how it can um, it can stand in for for several things at once, and you can you can read the same story. Two people can read the same story and get different things out of it based on their um, experience. You know, the this story, if you were to say, okay, stepping back, is this just about is this about racism or is this about uh, uh, sexuality or is there is there some clean group that we could map onto the mutants in the story. And there, there isn't really. Um, there are aspects and touch points where, um, you know, the, this does have something to say about uh, televangelism in the 80s, and it has some things to say about um, a number of different corners of this thing. But what it, but what it does particularly well is this uh, kind of idea of, of intersectionality. You know, like Gavin was saying, you have these conversations between uh, a young Jewish woman and a uh, and her her black dance teacher, and they are two characters that even though we only get to see them very briefly, like this, this is only like sixty pages of a comic. You don't need all of their their history to understand that they have these different experiences and that they're coming at these issues from different ways. And the the thing that kind of connects it. Particularly, maybe less with with Stevie Hunter because she is one of the human characters. But the X Men specifically are coming from all these different backgrounds, and uh, the thing that ties them together is this mutantness, this thing that doesn't exist in real life, but forces them to together and kind of creates this one cause that they all care about and, and fight for. And um, then, yeah, yeah, I think it, it can. Mean I, I think so it's important. Right. Yeah. And I think it's important to note, like the, the reality of this, the discussions in here are so point to point what you hear in any of these, any of the discussions that you hear from evangelists or um, evangelicals right now is that you, you get that point where they talk about the debate and the, the debate, the stuff they say in the debate sounds just like you would hear out of regular newscast right now, or there's also the points where Cyclops and and others watching the debate say, "Well, yeah, Xavier Xavier made better points, but he didn't. He came off as kind of angry, and so I don't think that that looked as good because he didn't. He, you know, he he wasn't the 
uh, religious guy saying things with a smile and and telling you that it's you know the, telling the majority that they, that they're okay and that they're going to be fine if they just do this right and so yeah it's a it's always it's a scarier comic than than you're gonna read um and yeah i mean this is this is what 19 this is 1982 right this is yeah. right after uh is it is this right after reagan gets elected for the first time um you know my uh, 80s politics is not super strong but i i believe that this is I think yeah, I think it get... is roughly this is probably off the heels of of yeah Carter and, and Reagan right you have someone yeah because who... you get H H W Bush I think is eighty eight so I think this would be Reagan is eighty to eighty eight yeah. yeah so you have you have some early televised debates where one person is a trained actor uh, and has that that kind of skill set and and I think there's there's a lot of that probably coming into this. And, and that the, there's a panel from this that has been used to make reference to Mike Pence and the way that he looks um, when he gets angry uh, oh, yeah. with, with Nightcrawler. So um, it's, it's it's a very good uh, it's a very good panel to uh, I I got a lot of use out of just photoshopping different things in place. Um, I guess for for context, <laughs> anyone listening is there's. This image of, of Stryker pointing and shouting uh, at Nightcrawler, uh, human, you dare call that thing human. Uh, it's great if, yeah, if you ever need to just Night, Photoshop anything over top of Nightcrawler. Um, but he it's very much, especially he, great because of Pence. Yeah. In that panel, he very much, unlike Nightcrawler has ever looked, he very much looks like a, like a sad cat almost, I think is how I would describe <laughs> yeah, he's, it. he's not reacting at all. He's just kind of slumped over. <laughs> hanging his arms which is different i i'm i'm telling you if you have not read a lot of x-men that's different than nightcrawler ever looks he's o almost always dynamic and you know swashbuckly and all these things going forward so um yeah um so with with regards to, to interesting uh art and interesting decisions uh let's move on to our what the hell segment and Gavin, I think uh, you probably have the strongest answer here, so I'll let you go ahead and, and start off the hell. For sure. Um, so yeah, mine was uh, a scene where I feel like the reader is going to come into, of course, being somewhat, somewhat confused. It's a very, uh, very serious scene where uh, there's a crucifixion going on. Um, you know, not to spoil everything, but it basically but ends up being in a kind of, uh, you know, dreamlike sequence. If you're familiar with uh, Cerebro, I don't think they have exactly that, but, um, you know, they come up with their own version, uh, the purifiers, their group. And basically the, this scene that, um, you know, the other X-Men that, you know, Charles Noen loves are, uh, you know, basically inflicting pain on him in this in this scene in a way that yeah you you've never seen in in any of the comics so i think that's that was my what the hell moment yeah it's a little it's a little bit the crucifixion of xavier is a little bit uh out of tone with a lot of the rest of the story like it all of a sudden we're in the the kind of the dreamscape or the you know the mind of charles xavier which we haven't gotten too like too crazy comic booky on any part of the story until that point i would say um yeah logan did you have anything to add to that or did you did you have anything uh uh what the hell moment yourself um well i think i think that is kind of a general um is part of a, a pattern that this story has in in trying to be um to be serious and touch on difficult topics is it uh has a lot of a lot of points like the, the very beginning kind of opening with with the violent murder of, of some children um striker's whole and tragic backstory there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah striker has this whole tragic backstory that tries to kind of explain why he's he's so bigoted and and awful and it's it too i don't know what the spoiler policy is i guess but it's yeah you you can spoil because it yeah it's too hard yeah. to talk about some of that stuff yeah. without without giving it up so yeah. So yeah, I mean, he basically uh, he, he had had a kid and a wife, and the kid um, 
was was born very clearly visually a mutant. We don't we don't see it on panel, but uh, he you know saw it as as this being some kind of, of horrible demon, some some yeah work of, of yeah. Satan, and he tries to to do this whole murder suicide, and it, and it it's just it's it's a lot, and especially nowadays it feels quite uh, unnecessary. Yeah. Um, I would say if you're listening and, and you're gonna read this, just just brace yourself before that bit as you get into Striker's backstory. But it's a it's a wild ride, so you know, go ahead and kind of enjoy the ride. And I do um, think it, it it weakens a bit the point of you know we talk about how how real to life, how true to life some of this stuff is, and so then to kind of turn the villain into, uh, uh yeah, just. Yeah, it's an attempt to it's make kind of unrealistic thing, and it, I don't think, yeah, really succeeds in, in necessarily making him yeah, realistic or yeah. sympathetic or. Um, it doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, which is somewhat rare for for Claremont, uh, for things that not work. Um, and then I think for for me the the thing that doesn't work and something that we talked about uh, before recording, there's a there's a scene of a, seemingly multicultural multicultural gang, uh that attacks Kitty when she's trying to escape the bad guys, and then they immediately get killed by the bad guy. And I think we can get into this a little bit, but they are distinguished. We talked about they're distinguished by their hats as multicultural, but I think they're all drawn as um, pretty much African-American, Gavin. I, I think, or uh, Hispanic in in some way. We, yeah. It's just very clear minorities, for sure. They're supposed to be in firelight, so the whole scene's kind of red. But then, yeah, I don't know. Logan there's York, there's one is... character that distinctly has a turban, who then winds up speaking in some like fake Spanish. Well, it's not fake, but it's like, well, it's yeah, like it's, Spanish, it's, it's Claremont. Claremont has the thing like where he, he splices in uh, he splices in uh, words from different languages uh, in a way that no no real human actually <laughs> speaks like this. But to give you an idea of oh this this character is is from such and such place or they speak such and such language as as their primary language and so we have to add in some some chicas and some uh, jefes and and whatnot and but the fact that yeah it's being put in the, the model yeah yeah for for yeah you it's it's interesting and I think the the art kind of falls down and the the writing kind of falls down <laughs> at, at that point. Well, and... It's not even it's not even a necessary scene. Like Kitty could have right. just escaped. Yes, absolutely. Too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I must I must say that it's a particular turban, and I can't say for certain what type of turban it is because it does have like a particular jewel on it. And then yeah, another yeah. guy wearing a cowboy hat. The thing is, yeah, it doesn't look like a casual turban. It looks like you know, it reminds me of Aladdin something. Like he's a prince. You know what I mean? It's, it reminds me of a prince style. I don't, I know that couldn't be uh could be insensitive to the culture potentially if you don't know what the significance of the gym is but ju just to show that it, it sticks out to the reader <laughs> yeah i almost think it's i almost think it might be speak too um like it's based off of like a Sikh turban which could that's be. A, I, yeah i don't have enough time to explain Sikhism, um nor would i be 100 percent accurate but it's a very interesting religion if you're uh, ever interested um i'm a big fan of Sikhs. Uh, but yeah, it, and and of course none of them are wearing shirts uh, completely. I don't think. Well, they are. The, one of them, one of them has a long sleeve shirt. One of them is totally shirtless, and four of them have button up shirts that are hanging up. In. Yeah. So, you know, make Classic. sure you put your put your turban on, and then don't button up your shirt uh, before you go out because something. Um, I don't think that yeah. follow. I don't think that would follow modesty rules of any islamic or sikh religion too i maybe i'm wrong there but that i don't know it's also new york city and i would imagine it's cold i and that's what the that's what the trash can fire were for <laughs> yeah um it does enough and I then guess. they all get yeah they all get killed in, weirdly in between panels like we cut straight from one of them pulling out a gun to the um, the the bad guy purifier lady um, on the ground having already killed them all while her her allies come to rescue her. 
Yeah, and, and they didn't even get in. They didn't get any hits in either. The the one guy threw a knife unexpectedly before the fight, and then apparently she just took them all out and sat down with with, with a knife wound in her shoulder. Was able to single handedly yeah. kill six armed men. And a regular pistol, just like a regular pistol that may not have actually even had six shots in it. I don't know. Landed every one of them, <laughs> every yeah. shot. Yeah. Um. So yeah, let's uh let's move on to awards then. Uh since I think we've we've covered the the weird parts of the story. There's some I think there were some significant weird parts, but uh overall did not just totally detract from the story. I just want to put that out there because I feel like the amount of weird parts that we discussed um when we get to our score later might kind of contradict each other, but <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's definitely it's definitely one of those stories where the the stuff that kind of stands out is is much easier to talk about, but it, the things that it does well are kind of consistent um, throughout. Yeah, it it really didn't affect the tone. It doesn't totally take you out of it. You just question it kind of later. Um. So, first award, of course, uh, best character for me that was Magneto. Uh, Magneto comes in, you know, in in kind of this new version of magneto i think for the time uh we talked a little bit about this it's he at this point has started to become a sympathetic villain uh and not too long after this towards the mid 80s would become the leader of the x-men himself actually um and this is also around the time where we first get his backstory as a holocaust survivor and he he's the one that that finds the kids and and makes sure that they are not found by other children in the morning hanging from swing sets, which is ooh, a heavy moment. Um, and he really, you know, it's one of these, when you hear that kind of, that quote about Magneto was right, like this is this is definitely a, one of those stories where Magneto's versions of things really kind of comes through as, as possibly the correct um, version for mutants. And so... Yeah, I think Magneto's really the best best written character here, and I think he's the most interesting character um, that we get on the on, in the story. So, uh, Gavin, sure. I think did, did you have Magneto as well? Yeah, that was true for me too. Um, and yeah, like everything you said, I feel like he was definitely the the realist uh, for the most part in this you know in this story. Um, you know, from where he's approaching you know taking action towards the end when uh you know they need to confront the reverend uh you know when he's on tv uh you know directly addressing some of those things magneto's kind of the first one to be like you know we need to do something about this you know not that they wouldn't have come in and on stage after that but you know he took that action he talks about yeah his views um for the mutant race as a whole and again they don't seem so far-fetched especially when you put them you know side by side with what the reverend's doing doing here um right he he wants wants good for mutants that doesn't mean he wants humans to be eradicated either so uh so yeah i'm also very much for magneto he's a a, a likable um you know side side hero i know he's not main hero yeah i think i i, I think uh this is we haven't really touched on this, but part of this story, there's little bits of the story that inspire um, the X2, the second X-Men movie, and I think that's kind of the version of Magneto that you get here a bit, is, is kind of that X2 uh, version with Ian McKellen. Um, and I don't know, just shout out shout out Ian McKellen. Uh, oh, yeah. Big, big Ian McKellen fan and everything. And you can, I don't know if, if you can't notice, my poster back here is actually from uh, Mr. Holmes, the Ian, the Ian McKellen film, so... Uh, I noticed that over my shoulder as you were talking. <laughs> um, Logan, did you have anybody? Did you have a different best character? Well, I wanted to, to say briefly on the the Magneto point that, um, yeah, I mean, like like you said, Gavin, he's not he's not about um, eradication and subjugation of of humans at this point. It, it is much more about you know the system doesn't work for us and we need to to tear it down. Um, but prior to this, I think this is kind of the shifting point. Because prior to this, in the in the Silver Age, he's very much a bog standard kind of Doctor Doom sort of villain about taking control and power and and um, basically completely swapping the power dynamic and and subjugating humans. But 
this is part of a very long arc that Claremont takes him on that goes from um, that that very, very radical perspective to um, something that is a little bit more practical and I think works better as um, as something that maps onto to real world politics. Um, and it and it goes to make I think Magneto one of if not if not Claremont's kind of biggest successes in terms of, of really fleshed out characters um, and it's part of what I think makes him such a strong I don't even want to say villain I guess I guess antihero um, in superhero comics up to today uh, but yeah I the bounce around a little bit but yeah <laughs> yeah. Yes, there is there there is a big contingent that likes to try to bring him back to to full villainy, and so he kind of back passes back and forth. Um, but yeah, the, I mean the other the character that I I think appreciate most in this is Kitty um, uh, Ariel. Although I think this is the only time she's ever given the code name Ariel. I don't think in regular continuity she's ever called Ariel. She gets Sprite, which is a code name she doesn't like, and then uh, mostly just goes by her first name, and then, or I guess her full name, and then gets Shadow Cat later funny. on. It's a little extra funny because the purifiers identify her as Ariel, like in their files. Too, yeah. I think. She's also wearing a costume that she has never worn before this and will never wear again after, uh, which is kind of that is that is in character. It is. A, yeah, a bit of an ongoing it's an ongoing thing that she keeps changing up her costume and there's a whole like they had a write-in uh, or they had a contest where where fans sent in um like new designs and and, and, the, and then eventually in the comics her most common costume ends up being the most basic new mutants costume. <laughs> yeah which we can we can blame joss whedon for but there's a lot of things we can blame joss whedon for yeah. um but yeah i think uh so, I think Claremont has a tendency sometimes to use Kitty as this this kind of perfect mouthpiece of the the child who knows enough to be right about things even when the adults are wrong, and uh, because she's not afraid to speak her mind, uh, doesn't have the same. Uh, yeah, she she can basically act as kind of Claremont's mouthpiece and stand-in sometimes, but. What it what it does well is is give her enough kind of rough edges that show that she is still uh, she's still a kid and she's still learning, um, and you know between the we see the brief connection she has with Ileana and the the importance of the connection that she has with the rest of the X Men, um, becomes this this very well fleshed out dynamic character who who gets to in many ways um, act as as the protagonist as much as this is a kind of ensemble. Um, cast ensemble story, you know she gives she gets to give the final speech to Stryker about um, how mutants are as human as anybody else, and she is is one of the ones who gets to kind of kick off the attempted and failed rescue effort once they find out that um, these things are going on and that maybe uh, Scott and uh, Scott and Aurora and Xavier aren't actually dead. Um, yeah, she gets she gets some of those you know the the quality quality lines, and she also I think gets a moment of you know hey you stay here, and then she doesn't stay here. Uh, a classic. Yeah, classic <laughs> city pride. I'm my own um, woman. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, and so yeah, so uh, next we'll, we'll move on to worst character. Uh, Logan, you you want to say your worst character because yours was different than than Gavin yeah. and I's again. So. So this is in some ways directly connected to to talking about magnetos um so yeah xavier is my pick for this um he largely you know he opens giving an ineffectual ineffectual interview um and then uh gets kidnapped and spends a whole lot of time being brainwashed uh and when they do kind of get him out at the end uh he is pretty immediately like shaken to his core by the experience to the point where he's ready to totally give up on on his dream of of peaceful mutant and human coexistence and like mm -hmm. and stand over to, to magneto and it and it kind of comes down to cyclops to, to give him the speech about why his um why his dream still matters 
Uh, and I think contextually, one of the things that you know we we talked about there are two different kinds of of Xavier, and there are stories where Xavier is this is this perfect idealist who is who is a great leader and has this this unassailable image of what the future can be. And then there's this version that kind of takes all of the things he has done in continuity from uh, from the big picture and says, well, okay, this is this rich white guy with a power that can solve all of his problems and uh, his, has created the secret paramilitary organization uh, that is trying to, trying to just assimilate into uh, human life and a lot of what he does Kind of works to uh, to erase characters' mutinous and not embrace it, like giving Nightcrawler uh, uh, this technology to make him appear human and that kind of thing, but not doing some doing things to make it more acceptable for people to look like Nightcrawler in public. Um, and that that version of the of Xavier, that kind of politically complicated character, I find much more interesting. And knowing that that version exists makes it, that much harder to look at a story like this where he is shown more as, as just this kind of figurehead where he's, I mean, he's barely even a character in the story, although a big part of that is just because he's, yeah, he's brainwashed. <laughs> but. Yeah, which he, I mean, he had a moment there too where he kind of says, hey, I think something's up and then they don't do anything about it before the, the they go, they just, well, let's just get in the car and go. We'll be fine. Yeah, um, yeah and I think it's also important to note that, uh, I think uh, Gavin I's worst character here is, is Stryker, and Stryker is actually one of the first characters that, reali that realizes publicly that Xavier is a mutant, and then he doesn't do anything with that information, um, because Xavier is not outed as a mutant during this debate, which is something that I think if you just come in and read it, you're not going to realize, but uh, that's a, something that doesn't happen until, like, the 2000s. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, Gavin, I, I know I kind of, uh, spoil, spoiler alert there, uh, we both had the same worst character as well with Stryker. Uh, yeah. Pretty I, obvious, obvious, right? He's, yeah, I don't think that was a big surprise. I mean, yeah, you'll see from his backstory, I mean, you know, throughout being the, the televangelist that, you know, without the, the good ideals, I feel like, um, yeah, You're, he wasn't supposed to be liked, uh, I don't think, by the, the reader overall. Maybe you're supposed to, you know, understand where he's coming from a bit. But, um, yeah, I mean, just can't can't get in tune with the character from, yeah, start to finish. So, don't think we need to go too much further. Uh, yeah, no, he's he's uh, he's pretty pretty awful. Um, so, for, for our wow moment... Uh, Personally, I had Magneto lifting up the roof of Madison Square Garden, which honestly is not addressed. Um, but the art is is solid. There's a couple of questionable things with like the cables that I got a little confused for a second. But like he quite literally lifts up the roof of Madison Square Garden to make his entrance, and it looks really it looks really cool. Um, and I feel like people, I feel like the reactions of both the text and of like the people at the rally are not uh, significant enough to kind of match up with, with how crazy that moment is. But that's, I, I don't know. I love big, powerful Magneto moments. Those are always some of my favorites. So, uh, Gavin, what, what did you have for uh, WoW? Um, yeah, my WoW was the attempted um, assassination earlier on um, kind of a few X-Men, I think, after the debate. Um, it was just stood out because, you know, WoW, the villain is not, you know slow playing it and capturing the heroes and you know bringing them back to their lair it was oh let's go straight at them and just you know car assassination that was um it's just different i mean of, of course i feel like that goes into yeah this was a bit different style you know graphic novel all that but um uh yeah, the yeah. Art in the panel there <laughs> is yeah really big like yeah yeah really stood out too. Yeah, so I didn't mean to didn't mean to ruin your ruin your flow there. No, but that was that was the very end. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and yeah, Logan, did you have a wow moment? Um, yeah. So, so mine is is most it's mostly the art, but the kind of the climactic moment where Kitty finishes giving her speech and um, Stryker holds holds his gun up ready to to shoot at the X Men and. 
rather than have any kind of, of you know, big superhero fight, they just kind of stand there unflinching, and there's this long, silent series of, of panels um, where he gets ready to shoot and then is eventually shot by a police officer who's standing by the camera crew in Madison Square Garden. Um, and, you know, the, the, the nature of, uh, you know, the, the way the plot kind of has to twist to, to bring this specific moment, like, why did Stryker do this this way? Uh, maybe it's kind of convenient that this, this cop from this distance was able to this quickly figure out um, how, to, how to appropriately handle the situation. Um, and all sorts. The, this kind of stuff is there. But um, just, the, just the sequence of panels, um, the kind of mirroring in the, uh, the top right and the top left of um, the two panels side by side, um, the kind of big white space and, and uh, kind of choices of which panels to actually box in versus which ones kind of bleed out fully. Um, and then just, just Claremont uh, kind of stepping back away from overwriting uh, the art that really doesn't need any additional words to, to properly tell the story. Um, I think it's just, a, it's just a very good sequence. Yeah, I think, I think you maybe used this word earlier, but uh, cinematic. Yeah, there's a lot of times that the art really feels cinematic and it feels like an understated TV show in a lot of ways, like the way that it is kind of drawn and the, the sequence of events that, oh, it was this character that's not a main character that actually somewhat saved the day, even though you have this guy with metal skin and uh, teleporter and all this over here on this side. Um, they all were so shocked that they didn't do anything and this guy actually stepped up in the line of duty and, and did something and we could been a whole other uh, different type of podcast episode discussing about uh, making the cop the hero in that moment. But I think it works uh, both of the time. And honestly, I, you know, I think uh, the politics of police officers and everything right now is pretty complicated. But I, I think that moment is still written well enough that then, like, he justifies why he did it and why it's not out of character. It was not out of character for him as a character. Yeah, I think it, I think it makes sense, but yeah. I, so I do think it's I do think it's worth noting that as as you know you could adapt these pages specifically um, into into a movie or TV show very easily. Like you could shot for shot do do it, but there are elements to it that do work especially well and only really work because of the the comic medium, right? Like some of these. A lot of the panels don't really have um, full background. Some of them have no background. It's just striker. Um, yeah. The the shift in focus is is so fast that if you were to, you, know, you kind of get to control the pacing from one panel to the next as you read it, and I think that changes the experience. Than if we had sat, you know, we're looking at the gun for two seconds and we pan back to the team for three seconds, um, plus the sound effects and and all that is you would lose something in translating it even though it clearly is pulling inspiration from um the the kinds of shots you would have in a camera for, for a movie all right and uh with that we have uh last last award dumbest decision um so for me and, and i've i think we've talked about this a lot um in other in some other stories especially cap wolf uh why do villains capture the bad guys and bring them back to their lair and then are surprised that other heroes come and mess with stuff and, you know, destroy things. So uh, Striker makes a lot of dumb decisions. I think that one's that one's up there. Um, Gavin, did, what, was the, what was your dumbest decision? Uh, right. So, yeah, mine came at the very end, um, you know, all the way down to the, that final scene we were just talking about because um, – Striker, I guess the reason why the police officer, you know, needs to act is, you know, he decides that, uh, you know, Kitty, whatever she was doing, you know, to invoke God's will, right? He needs to take her out. So uh, basically him making that decision, I feel like, was just very, very bad for his cause. Uh, you know, everything that was going on, you know, it was a very serious topic. Everyone's making their cases on both sides to the, you know, media. This was the biggest scene. And... You know, I mean, it just kind of he he broke. It looked like he caved. I mean, overall, you know, he's not supposed to win. He doesn't have like the winning argument here. But 
the reader i don't think was so far opposed to his his side before that um you know he, the mutants just had to make their case um you know against it i know one of nightcrawlers was you know maybe maybe we're the humans and all you humans are the mutants which you know i just didn't think sat you know sat that well so yeah maybe if he didn't do that <laughs> you know people weren't so not on his side you know i'm not serious with that but you know j just to, to hammer in the point yeah english is not nightcrawler's first language so i think that's i think that's important to know uh <laughs> maybe his, his, his debating skills might need some work there. Uh, I think it's very interesting the the kind of role Nightcrawler plays in the story as a whole because uh, yeah he is typically this kind of uh, you know contrary to what his appearance would suggest he's actually this very fun loving and and swashbuckly and and exciting um, character and uh, in this story mostly like his his standout moments are there's a point where he. Uh, grabs one of the purifiers uh, uh, upside down with his tail and says, you know, we'd have ways of making you talk and more of making you die. Um, and it's, I, I, I'm kind of curious, Gavin, how much you knew about Nightcrawler at the time and if you thought that that was, like, a legitimate threat or if you saw that as, it, like, I think it's intended to be him playing the part of uh, he is he is having fun with it by kind of, like, saying uh, the, the movie line, right? He had right. And yeah, and I think throughout they do paint Nightcrawler as, you know, being maybe the most similar to humans, you know what I mean, his decisions, right? I mean, maybe he's just most clear-headed. But yeah, even in that scene, I didn't I didn't think he was going to really hurt or kill him, I guess. I guess I, you know, right. somewhat knew it was a threat because of Nightcrawler's character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As as opposed to I guess the point where I think this is the first time we ever get the classic Wolverine thing of uh uh one one uh claw on one side of the face one claw on the other side of the face like, i'm glad you general pop the third one yeah that that was a really cool looking scene i'm glad you yeah. brought it up in general because yeah it was dope. yeah that's why they've redone it a hundred times because <laughs> yeah. um, you always it, have it to always think comes... though like how how wide is this fist, right <laughs> right <laughs> so, to safely get the claws the angles, like, they, the angles they, help. Yeah, yeah right. And the, in, they're drawn like they come out slightly at angle, uh, at an angle. But uh, typically, I, I think they're supposed to come out straight. But it's, yeah, it, mm -hmm. it's cool, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. I, at this time, I don't think they were uh, the the bone, you know, bone claws hadn't been uh, retconned in. But <laughs> no, so, that didn't come until way later. Technically, you would imagine that maybe he has some muscular control over the angle that they come at? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. reaching. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, did you have a dumbest decision, Logan? Uh, yeah, so uh, there is a point where um, I, I forget. I think the purifiers, they're either coming to kill or kidnap the rest of the X-Men, or maybe they're just monitoring them or something. But uh, Kitty kind of figures out roughly what's going on and sneaks into their car by uh, phasing into the uh, trunk. And mm -hmm. uh, that is not my that is not my dumbest decision because what then happens is uh, the people in the car go, hey, our, our, uh, our monitor in the trunk has told us that there, we have a, a passenger and so I'm going to hit this button that releases some, some gas that will knock them out. And uh, my dumbest decision is whoever decided to spend all of the money on that technology <laughs> i mean i guess maybe you need it if they just if they spend a lot of time throwing people in the trunk uh but the, i don't know that seems yeah. like there would be better ways to <laughs> keep track of that kind of thing yeah so, so that brings... especially in 82 like where, where do you even get sleep yeah <laughs> that brings the question did, did chris claremont invent the pressure sensors that go in your passenger seat so that you can't set like heavy items there without the uh seatbelt sign flashing right is that is that what it is yeah, well because the they look like they look at like a little radio box or something right that tells them it's like not even a like yeah, it's oh, yeah, very unclear they... what they're looking at that tells them yeah that something's they... in the trunk yeah yeah yeah, it's the that whole sequence is a little that yeah. also lead that's the sequence that leads into the multicultural gang later. So yeah, um, yeah. Um, so uh, we've reached we've reached the end here. Let's uh, get into the score and you know whom we'd recommend this for. I think 
when we get to, once we do our scores, you'll you'll see. I think this is something that we would recommend for just about everybody. Uh, it's really if you're gonna read, it's one of those comics that if you're gonna read a comic, this is this is up there. Uh, it's self-contained. It's not super super long, but it's it's honestly it's it's like a it's like reading a you know a short story or something like that. Like it's something that you can put down and pick back up and um, you know I think I think it has a ton of merits. So. With that in mind, uh, Gavin, did you have a review score for God Loves, Man Kills? Yep, of course. Um, can give mine first. I gave it a uh, 9.5, which is, I mean, yes, very generous. I think only, yeah, one other comic has even got in, into the nine. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'll just say, right, great story. I mean, overall, yeah, like, would recommend it anyone and everyone uh i mean that's the main reason i think to give it a score you know that high um i feel like of course you know there were some things you know with the story where you feel like uh you know the lines weren't all put together like it is you still see it as oh this needed to happen you know this person needed to have these traits just to for you know for the story to go along a little bit but you know what i mean i mean 9.5 is still an amazing score so so yeah, I feel yeah, like it's... yeah, you can go ahead, but it's yeah, not yeah. not too much to say. No, yeah, yeah, like well, yeah, you covered everything. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's close enough. Um, so I think uh, nine point five is actually also where I landed. Uh, we do not always have a consensus, but we do today, and I believe that'll put it right at the top of our list. So congrats to God loves man kills, and someone let Chris Claremont know. I'm sure he's he'll be happy for any uh any positive reaction he seems to enjoy enjoy positive reactions to his stuff so um logan did you have anything that you wanted to add um i think our official score is going to just be with gavin and i especially because i think you told us earlier that yeah you... i don't yeah, think i sure should give this a, a score it's it's a little hard to untangle my thoughts on the text itself versus the kind of greater context but i i mean i think all, all in all um I think it's it's a really good story and is, um, if not, I don't know if I would call it a jumping on point for people that are interested in X-Men, but it is a great kind of first introduction. It is sort of the most quintessential um, quintessential X-Men story, at least in as far as, as the mutant metaphor is concerned. And, um, it gets the point you, across. Yeah, it gets the point <laughs> across. Yeah, it's, it's self-contained, which is extremely rare. X-Men, um, and uh, there's not anything much more you could you could ask for. It. It's even an interesting artifact of the time in a, a number of particular ways. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, again, well, one of my favorites, uh, I think one of a lot of people's favorites out there, so. If you enjoyed this episode, even though I think this is one that's going to be in one of our longer ones, so thanks for hanging with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please uh, like and subscribe and rate us on whichever format you end up listening to this or watching this if you're on YouTube. And thank you for listening. Thank you to Logan for coming on and being guest host today. Thanks for having me. And we will see you later. Bye. See you.